Vera Podcast. Research matters. Over the last few weeks and months, the COVID-19 pandemic has transformed the way we live, work, research, teach and learn. This series explores the impact of the pandemic on our members and on the field of educational research. My name is Amber Fensham-Smith and together with Harriet Patterson, I convene the Alternative Education SIG. And today I'm joined by Joanna Merritt, who is an elective home education consultant and researcher at the Centre for Social Mobility at the University of Exeter. And she's working on a project that's led by Professor Anna Mountford Simdars at the University of Exeter. Joanna, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. Um, So tell us a little bit about what drew you to this project and a little bit about your professional and academic experience. I started out as an early years professional working with younger children and then I, since 2011, have worked as a home education consultant supporting families with their individual practice as well as setting up and running groups for the home education community. I actually home educate my children as well and the interest came from finding limited research on the outcomes for home educated children. So it was my interest was really stemmed from the experience of my own experience and my community's experience. So within home education, I think there are so many different pathways you can take and so many ways that families approach their education. And it looks very, very different to school. So I found it really interesting that there isn't a great deal of research on there. And I felt it was a, there was a gap, particularly when it comes to making policy around supporting home education as a legal choice I think there's there's probably a, a knowledge gap there. No and I, I, th- I think that I think that's a really good point and hopefully something that um, that we talk about later on. So tell us a little bit about your project I mean for, for context for listeners who maybe perhaps aren't as aware of the legal and non-statutory context for elective home education in the UK what is the current situation with regards to exam funding and local authority provision? So ordinarily, home educators will take exams at different ages. So unlike in the school model where children take it, their exams in year 11 and they're most likely would have sat sats in a previous year, home educators often, they, they don't take mock exams because they genuinely, they pay for the mock exams. They also sit the exams when the child is ready. So in one of the groups, online groups that I support, we've got children who were taking exams from age nine to age 19. So there's a much wider variation in when the children sit exams. So that's the first difference. And in home education, they tend to sit their exams in stages. So unlike the school model, where children tend to sit their exams in in one year, home educated children tend to stagger that and their children sit exams over two or three years, typically. Mm. And, I, and I'm aware of different individualised models and different local authorities where some parents have created supportive environments um, and actually had their organisations registered with exam centres in a bid to, to provide resource and exam opportunities for, for, for some of the home educated and children and young people. What was the original focus of your project and how did it sort of coincide with these unprecedented challenges that communities have been faced with with COVID-19? Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. And actually, just to address you earlier, the point, the first point you made about exams, there's a currently a home education uh, inquiry being called, um, as I'm sure you know, by the government. And the last one 
the report, the findings from that was actually one of the points was on exams. And they talked about how different local authorities supported home educators with taking exams. So some local authorities would provide funding for maths and English, others would support with resources and others didn't do anything. So there was a real, um, what they termed a postcode lottery when it came to support for exams. In the summary of findings from the last inquiry, they actually suggested that it would be a good idea for local authorities to support families more with their exams. And actually, that's according to a lot of the, the community feedback, that's that's not what's happened. Lots of families have to pay to take their exams. And one of the things that came out from the research when the exam cancellation policy came into force was that home educated children hadn't seemed to be taken into account. So these children, they don't have a mock exam, so they didn't have a predicted grade. Lots of them worked independently, so didn't have anyone to mark their work. And even when they did, the exam centres often didn't take into account that evidence. So lots of children actually just went without an exam. So tell us a a bit about the project itself and and how it coalesced with this exam cancellation, because as I understand it, the project shifted um, from from its initial conception. Yes, it did. So originally, we were going to look more widely at the approaches and motivations within home education and reasons for transitioning to and from school. And then the start coincided really closely with when lockdown happened. And we were we were lucky we were able to really quickly and easily shift the questions to kind of look at how home educators had been affected by the lockdown and the restricted measures. The exam cancellation policy being one, but a lot of the home education community had become very vocal about the whole nation calling themselves homeschooling. And so we actually shifted the focus to talk about what we thought we were going to talk about with or or get data from from the home education community about how they'd experienced the, the lockdown and the restrictions and what they thought about the rest of the nation thinking that they were homeschooling and trying to draw out what the differences were and and how they saw those differences. And what what were some of the the, the tentative themes in, in that area in terms of those differences? Because I I agree that in, in my Bira blog I was quite critical of the term homeschooling being applied because of course legally with pandemic supported schooling and school assisted learning at home there is a, a very different set of responsibilities in terms of provision and the role of parents and formal educators in terms of supporting children with their formal learning at home what were some of the emergent findings in that area yeah it was um <laughs> it was near on unanimous the response was was kind of i, I think if you could create an avatar of, of the responses in one go, it would be outrage <laughs> that, that everybody was thinking this is home education and a real worry from the home education community from their answers that they were concerned that parents would think this is what home education was when in fact home educators explained to us through we had the survey and we had the interviews and they explained very clearly actually home education the home in home education is something of a misnomer because home education actually takes place outside of the home most of the time. So so lots of families were describing how they'd had to cancel their activities and their trips and their group meets and their library visits and all these things that occur outside of the, the home environment and how, how drastically different they felt it was to be confined to home and to have just the resources they had at home because most of them weren't used to doing that. So they also, most of the comments we had as well were about how different 
it is for family schooling at home because they had work set for them and sent to them and had timelines for when work had to be in. And home educators felt that was, again, something that was really different to, to how they usually practice. And this was near on unanimous that they felt that with home education, part of what defines being a home educator was working to your child's pace, working to your child's interests and having the flexibility of, of changing what or how you're doing um, education to in order to fit the child. And some of the overwhelming key words that came out of it were freedom, child-led, autonomous and children's interest. And, and they were the real overwhelming answers from the majority of, of the families. I suppose sort of as a, a different perspective to some of the dominant discourse around that period as learning loss. I mean, how, how did the parents in your study envisage that period? What were some of the sorts of challenges and opportunities that maybe accompanied this, this significant change to their way of working and their pedagogical practice? Yeah, I think this is an interesting one. So, so f- for our survey participants, this seemed to be kind of in two categories, I would say. So there was the, the families that had children approaching GCSEs. And so they felt there was a real detriment to time lost and time delay because they either couldn't take their exams when they planned they were having to defer their exam and some of them were having to to, re, to think about doing their exams the following year. And lots of those parents responded with with concerns about, you know, the child feeling frustration, the child feeling overwhelmed with having to keep up their knowledge when they had other GCSEs planned to keep up their knowledge for that long. Um, but the majority of families that weren't doing exams um, didn't actually feel that there would be any loss in learning and didn't feel like it would be hard to catch up, even if they stopped their current projects or topics for the next six weeks to three months. They didn't feel there would be a significant loss because there was an overwhelming sense of trust in their children's learning and their ability to learn very quickly. And they also, I think what was interesting was that there's the families, again, this was kind of unanimous in in the response, that the families really felt that there was a real blend between academic or education learning as we would think of it in school and 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 general life and parenting and family life and there was the line between learning and family life was really quite blurred and I think that that's one of the big differences between home educating systems or models and a school model that there's this there's this integration of, of education and learning and one of the terms that came up really frequently was, you know, learning happens all the time. Learning's always happening. So we're not worried because learning happens anyway. One of the kind of critiques in some of the academic research in home education is that it primarily focused on very small scale samples that perhaps maybe don't capture the, the experiences of more diverse communities and perhaps groups that are excluded from so-called mainstream home education research Um, and I was wondering if you could maybe tell listeners a little bit more about your sample because I think that again that's a strength of your study looking at the sampling and and the diversity of groups that you managed to access. Yeah I think it can be it definitely can be an issue with with research in home education because to some degree is not quite a closed community but it's certainly one that feels the need to protect itself and I think to that end, there's, I mean, even as a home educator myself, I had particular groups that were very unwilling to, to be part of it, even though it was an anonymous because of the fear or re, of repercussions 
in their local authority. I think that that definitely contributes to some of the difficulty. But I think we were not only just lucky with this one, with the timing, and lots of people wanted to have their say with this, but I think it was the, the collaboration between being a researcher and having the support of the home education community and, and making it relevant for them, especially with the outcomes of the research. So we were really lucky. So I did have access and the the survey and the the opportunities for interview went out to a real range of groups. So we had we had multi-faith groups. Um, we had um, a variety of specific faith groups. We had groups from different local authorities. We had lots of same-sex families. We had families from all sorts of backgrounds and all sorts of socioeconomic backgrounds as well, which I think was was really, really good. And I think on our professions category we had out of out of the 401 survey participants if we just look at the survey we had 238 completely different jobs um which i think was really interesting in itself and and that went from the range you know it went from people who are unemployed or on benefit retired um off long-term sick and we had a huge range of jobs in between that that was quite fascinating to see to see the diversity Definitely, and I think I think it's it's helpful to have further studies that that capture a more diverse sample of home educators. And I think part of the the challenges that you've outlined are, you know, can be access and and, and trust. Um, so I was wondering, how do you and your colleagues plan to scale up this research, and what are your future plans? And thinking about the the long term effect on on how this might the impact of missing grades on on children and young people. Yeah, it's an ongoing issue, and I, I think the next stage of research is really to 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 address the needs within home education as it relates to policy at the moment. Because I think there's still ongoing issues in that respect, and I know lots of home educating families at the moment are are giving feedback um, to me about exam centre closures, about home educated children being refused to sit as private candidates because they're home educated after after the the happenings of this summer. So there's lots of families actually that have missed out on exams this year, but that are also facing missing out next year. Um, and especially with this discussion around scrapping GCSEs in favour of portfolio work, that's left a lot of home educators completely unsure how they're going to proceed. And in terms of how you're you're going to build on these ideas and develop develop them for future work, thinking about the research field and areas in home education, what what for you are the the kind of key priorities in terms of developing the field and moving forward? Yeah, I think that's a really really good question. I think. I think certainly we need to look at the knowledge gap as far as practice goes, because I think there's there's currently the debate around whether there should be a register, for example. And part of the resistance from the home education community, I know, comes from the fact that the people that are quite often in education, they're sometimes called education welfare officers or education support officers from the local authority, they quite often come from a background of social work or teaching. And so there's this perceived lens from the home education community. There's this perceived lens of that that the education welfare officer will come in with a school model in mind. So I think with regards to future research, I think we definitely need to look at ways of understanding how home educators practice 
education and, and what that looks like outside of school so that there's a deeper understanding of of learning and the way children learn when there isn't a school model in place. I think that there's also probably some more research that needs doing. I know lots of people try and do research on motivations, but when we looked at it, a lot of families actually didn't like the school starting age. And they also took their children out of school because their children and um, the parents had a perception that the child's need wasn't being met. And I think there's probably some research that we can do to look deeper into what schools might be able to do or need to do for families to stay in school and not feel pressured into home education where they don't want to be. And, and I think some of the more interesting examples of, of how that happens in practice and, and um, community-led models and partnerships between schools in other areas are, are also really, really fascinating and worth thinking about. And I know you and I, Joe, chatted off air around fostering more bridging spaces. And I'm, I'm thinking more also of the relationship between academic research and home education community and and how yourself as both you know a home educator and a researcher how we bridge those um, areas and how we try to create further spaces where we share practice and 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 you know and and I think we're also talking about you know the impact of research and Mm. and and how we might do work that creates sustainable positive change for not just home educators and home educated children but also for practitioners in mainstream settings who might be supporting children who maybe have had time out from school and who are maybe you know transitioning back to college or further education yes for sure I think I think that's something that I think is really missing um, on a national level you know this a transition policy for supporting families who are transitioning from school into home education and how to support families transitioning from home education into school. And I think that support needs to be communicated through through national policy for, for teachers and, and educators and, and for parents making that transition. And I also think that the social mobility aspect of it needs looking at because at the moment there's actually not much data beyond a few case studies of how accessible home-educated children find getting into college or university. So I think that's something else that we need to look at. I was speaking to a colleague in America not too long ago, and she said, oh, well, don't you have your universities save like a percentage of your spaces for home educators? You know, I think most of our universities save one to two percent of, of spaces, especially for homeschoolers. I said, I don't think they do. And I think that maybe we need to look at the the access to, to higher education and further education for home educated students, especially when, particularly as bearing in mind our study had um, close to 50 percent of its children uh, reported to special educational needs. These These might be families who have children who are absolutely able and academically able to go to college and university but they might not have those kind of typical GCSEs that that we expect and they might have portfolio work or other things and I think we maybe need to look at what research is available and what what the gaps are so that we can look at how we can support that social mobility for home educated students. And I agree and I, and I think that applies to lots of um, groups who, who maybe have been excluded or have non-traditional pathways entering university and we could probably have a whole podcast just on <laughs> just on alternative <laughs> pathways and transitions. One of the things that's just reminded me of is that in our survey the families that come under the BAME category I think that was again near unanimous that they 
they chose home education, one, to avoid racism for their children, but two, a lot of the families reported that they felt that their child had been labelled because of their race or ethnicity and that by taking them out and home educating them, their child actually then began to thrive, whereas they hadn't at school, because they were then surrounded by parents who expected greater things for them or had really high expectations for them. And I think that's also an, an underexplored issue. And I know Carl and Bhopal and Martin Myers have, have done work in this area. Um, mm. So hopefully listeners can follow up on those. Um, is there anything else you'd like to close on or add or feel that we, we should definitely cover? I think there's one thing that that was quite interesting is we asked the families to make a prediction about what they thought might happen when the schools reopened. Again, this was something that was very, you know, not quite unanimous, but very close. Um, the, The majority of families thought that when schools reopened, that the majority of families that were traditionally schooling their children would send them back to school the ones who wouldn't send them back to school would be those who had children either with special educational needs or those with children who whose children had faced anxiety or bullying in school and if they had seen a change in them while they were during lockdown at home and they'd seen a change in their children seemed happier that they were the ones that they predicted would keeping homeschooled or home educated and not go back to school so I think that's quite interesting. That is very interesting. And I think it will be fascinating to see emergent research that other colleagues have done and to explore those predictions. Thank you so much for taking the time to to have a chat with me today. And um, your work is absolutely fascinating. And we really look forward to seeing all that emerges from it and um, your work in this field. Thanks for listening to the Beera podcast. For the latest news on Beera events and activities, visit www.beera.ac.uk.